Welcome to Creative Mind Soul Sessions with Deborah Burnt Maldonado and Dr. Rob Maldonado, founders of Creative Mind. Explore personal growth with us through Jungian psychology, Eastern spirituality, and social neuroscience in a deep but practical way. Let's begin. Hello, welcome to another episode of Soul Sessions. I am Deborah Burnt Maldonado. I'm here with Dr. Rob Maldonado. Nice to be here. Before we begin our interview with Lisa Marciano, we do want to request that you click the link here if you're watching us on YouTube to subscribe to our channel. And if you're listening to us on one of the podcast services, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We are continuing our series on leadership. And we have a special guest today that we're about to introduce. And she is, we're talking about empowerment, right? Yeah, and it's, it's an incredible interview talking about empowerment, individuation, and of course, her work uh, as a therapist, psychotherapist, uh, Jungian analyst. And this is the book. Uh, and it's Lisa Marciano, The Vital Spark, Reclaim Your Outlaw Energies and Find Your Feminine Fire. And I, just a little bit about Lisa. She is LCSW, is a Jungian analyst, author, and podcaster. Her writings have appeared in many publications. She's the co-host and creator of the popular depth psychology podcast, the This Jungian Life, and she's the author of Motherhood. Lisa's on the faculty of the C.G. Young Institute of Philadelphia, and she lectures and teaches widely. She lives and practices in Philadelphia, <laughs> Pennsylvania. So we, without further ado, we are going to segue into our interview with Lisa Marciano. I hope you enjoy it as much as we did. Hello, welcome to Soul Sessions. We have a wonderful guest here, sure Lisa do. Marciano here, uh, one of the hosts of This Young in Life and the author of her new book, The Vital Spark, Reclaim Your Outlaw Energies and Find Your Feminine Fire. Welcome, mm -hmm. Lisa. Welcome, yeah. Thank you. Thank, thank you so, so much, much for having me. Absolutely, and thank you for making the time. So uh, I'll let you start. Well, I love this concept that I, you talk about. Well, there's so many things I pulled out of your book, mm -hmm. uh, which is so amazing, especially since I'm a woman and can relate to a lot of the topics. Mm -hmm. Um this idea that I never heard before is that women are guardians of the feeling values in the environment. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that was really interesting. I'd love to talk about that. Just start off with, you know, the, 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 what women's roles are and, and that, that kind of feeling values that they have to hold. And um, we'd love to hear a little elaboration on that idea. Sure. Well, I, I mean, I think first of all, you know, let, let's just sort of name the difficult territory that we're in, that when we talk about women's roles, uh, whether in positive sense or in a negative sense, we're, we're in that very slippery territory of are we referring to sex role stereotypes? Are we being prescriptive? prescriptive and saying this is the way that women should be? Uh, are we referencing a kind of classical Jungian uh, psychological principle in which the feminine is, uh, you know, sort of a psychological concept? It's messy, I think. And mm -hmm. I think it's difficult to talk about. And in some sense, I just kind of claimed that in the book that it's messy and difficult to disentangle. I think when we talk about uh, the feminine, we kind of all know what that means. Mm -hmm. And and of course, Jung says that we all have the feminine available to us, even men, mm 
<laughs> just like right. women also have the masculine. But but I do think we want to stay away from being prescriptive. However, I will say that in terms of the quote that you just pulled out, I mean, it is my experience, it is the experience of many of the women I've worked with and many of my friends that we often feel like, especially in intimate relationships with male partners, for example, that we are the ones that track the feelings. You know, it often is the mom mm -hmm. who kind of tracks how the kids are doing and who's upset. You know, it's sometimes referred to as emotional labor, you know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, not across the board. Some women aren't so good at that and some men are very good at that. Yeah. But in general, we are the ones who uh, tend to the feelings of other people with whom we're in relationship. And there's some kind of evidence about this, mm -hmm. or at least certainly other people have noticed it. I mean, if now the, the work of uh, um, Carol Gilligan and the Stone Center uh, kind of feels like ancient history, but uh, her book in a different voice talked about this, that mm -hmm. that women tend to see themselves in an interrelated web of other people and are very uh, aware of, um, you know, the emotional connections. Mm -hmm. And and I do think that we maybe just either by dint of culture or nature or nurture, or perhaps both, that is how we uh, uh, kind of move about our environment. Mm. Yeah, definitely. When uh, I was uh, younger and more immature, more <laughs> more immature than I am now. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, my my approach in relationship was: you're the woman. You you bring the emotion, right? Mm -hmm. I, I'm here to bring the action. And yeah, the emotion, and I think that's kind of where uh, we go wrong, right? Because it's putting too much responsibility on the woman to to carry that weight of emotion. Yeah. But I love the the distinction too that men can be that and it is I think more of a social construction than yeah and maybe there's some biological reasons for it but it, it just I think it, it, and again not pathologic uh, pathologizing it at all it's like a beautiful thing to be able to be in yes. a room and have, be intuitive and to sense uh how everyone's feeling you know i think mm -hmm. it's a good thing mm -hmm. so yes. um yeah i i love that idea um did you have a question about individuation yeah uh you know because uh, we wanted to to focus the conversation on empowerment mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh from my perspective uh, empowerment in the young end model comes through individuation mm -hmm. you know, that process of really finding yourself uh, how do you see the the challenges for modern women, uh, given kind of the state of uh, society where we're at now, uh, and moving into this new era of artificial intelligence and, and technology, and mm. a lot of there seems to be a lot of shifting and questioning about gender roles and these kind of questions. Mm -hmm. What are the some of the challenges that you've seen uh, regarding the individuation process for women mm -hmm. yeah well um gosh i mean there's a couple different ways i suppose i could take that i mean one of one of the things that uh maybe i want to lift up is you know one of one of the things that jung was really strong on was this notion you know there's almost kind of stoic notion that we have to take responsibility for ourselves mm -hmm. and he has that he has that great quote about um you know that the the wise man will, will will no matter how he's been wronged by his parents and grandparents 
the wise among us will will look and say, who am I such that this should happen to me? Because only a fool would consider concern himself with things that he can't control, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm paraphrasing that, and I probably totally butchered it, but it's mm-hmm. this wonderful quote. And, and, and to me, that quote is kind of the essence of empowerment, because it encourages us to take responsibility for that for which we can be responsible. Mm. Right. And I and I think that um, you know I go I go back all the time to this incredible little piece of wisdom that they call the Serenity Prayer in AA. You know, which is grant me the courage to change change the things that I can change, the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, and the kicker, the wisdom to know the difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But and I and I think that in a way that there's so much wisdom that flows from that that has to do with empowerment, right? Because the empower part, the empowerment part is let me change what I can change. Let me not, you know, bang my head against a wall trying to change things I can't change. But also, if I just sink into a helpless stance and I talk about how victimized I am or how oppressed I am and assume that I can't change anything, well, that's definitely not empowered. Mm. And I feel like there's a certain amount of kind of cultural discourse now that focuses so much on how we've all been wronged in one way or another. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, when, when, when women talk about uh, how things are difficult in their lives because of the patriarchy, well, yes, that's true. And where are the things that you can change? Mm. Um, I love that because uh, I see there's so many, the patriarchy, the patriarchy, they're so evil and bad, but that's Mm -hmm. not empowering. It's like, well, what can I do to Mm -hmm. shift that? And what, what, how am I allowing that to stop me? You know, just letting this narrative that's been going on in our culture for many years, how do we shift that? And I I totally, uh, so on board with that because it really is that it, empowerment is knowing that they're like you said the things that you know you can change yeah and um and I, that's why i think it's beautiful the young's work it kind of makes you look inward you know and, and, and instead of looking at the conflict out there and that's mm-hmm. a beautiful beautiful process and and uh, do, uh, do you find that when people first enter the work of individuation that they resist that in a way they resist that no, no, you don't understand. Everyone in the everyone at the company doesn't like this one person, or these type of people are bad, mm-hmm. or this is the way the corporate world is, and absolutely the way it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and uh, you know, of course, that's that is related to what what we do, right? Which is we we project our shadow on other people, and we see it as kind of a problem out there. When the call is just to look and say, well, okay, where's that in me? Mm. And, and what could I do about that? And certainly there's plenty of things. There are plenty of times when we find ourselves in difficult circumstances that are not of our making that we actually can't control. But then the question is, okay, well, what, what, what are the little things maybe even we can shift around that? Mm. Yeah, interesting. Uh, that prayer, I imagine, was influenced by Jung's work, was it? It's actually really, that same senten- sentiment is very ancient. I, I once did some research to try to figure it out. So, I mean, of course, it's used in AA now, which an AA was influenced by Jung. But, uh, but it goes back even to ancient times, very similar concepts. So a lot of wisdom traditions have generated something along the same lines. So. Mm. I think it's a very ancient piece of wisdom. Got it. Yeah. 
Yeah, so the in individuation, we usually begin with the shadow work, right? Because um, if a person is not willing to accept responsibility for their own kind of the, what they see wrong mm -hmm. in the world, and, and not so much to blame themselves, but to understand that, well, if you if you're perceiving this, that means it's something about your work, or it's pointing to what you need to work with. And mm -hmm. accepting that as your part of your process of becoming. Mm -hmm. um, as as long as they don't do that, then there's no way to really move forward. But once they do that, then they can they can work with their that projection in essence because it it gives us or gives everyone a, a clear picture of what the nature of their internal work is about. Mm -hmm. In in the 3D world, in essence, mm -hmm. and and so as as somebody takes responsibility and, and moves forward, um, how do how do you help them come to terms with that balance of accepting responsibility for their part, but also taking action and mm -hmm. doing the mm -hmm. things they need to do to mm -hmm. make those uh, social changes, for example. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, in in some sense, I think that's kind of what the whole book is about. Because, uh, and I guess the big answer is, um, you know, I think it requires cultivating qualities in us that we usually don't have permission to cultivate. Mm -hmm. Because some of some of that sense of okay, well, I I'm I'm going to you know accept myself here. Um, you know, maybe my part in it is, uh, is, for example, getting out of our innocence complex and knowing the truth about ourselves. And if we can be very clear eyed about that, that helps us know, all right, this part is not maybe is mine, but that part is really not. Mm -hmm. And that makes us feel that that kind of strengthens us to withstand it in some way. And one of the things that I, I talk about in the book that I think is an important part of this is this idea of the worthy opponent. And that was not a uh, that was not a um, an original concept. A friend of mine used it, and I said, "Oh my God, I love that idea." She said, "Well, my therapist said it to me." Mm. I said, "Well, I need you to ask your therapist where did she hear that, and mm -hmm. you know, and then can I use it?" And the therapist said. I don't know. I don't know where I heard it. And please go ahead and use it. So I just want to hat tip to nameless therapist of my friend. <laughs> um, but it's it's a great concept. And I, I find it useful in, in therapy too. Because again, when we're in a situation where maybe we didn't make it, maybe it's not our, maybe it's one of those things that's truly not our fault, or not even fault, but you know, we, we have to say, nope, that's not mine. That's mm -hmm. not mine. But but do we do we just crumble and fold, or can we figure out how to be a worthy opponent? And I find that that's really hard for a lot of women in my practice. You know, for, let's say that they're in a kind of high conflict marriage, and um, you know that that's a really tough situation to be in. And sometimes you do everything you can, and it doesn't work. But I do see some women who find it so hard just to stand toe to toe. Mm -hmm. with their partner and really claim their own ground. And I, 
And, you know, maybe some of those women would do that with their partner, whether the partner is male or female, by the way, and nothing would change anyway, you Mm -hmm. know, but sometimes I think that no, you don't know what would happen if you really stood your ground. What would have happened if you really stood your ground? What would have happened in the relationship? But also, what would have happened for you Mm -hmm. to know that you could do that? Are you looking for a satisfying career as a life coach? If you are seeking a deeper path of training and growth, Creative Mind University offers an ICF-accredited life coach training program that goes beyond surface positive thinking and into a powerful process of real transformation. You can start your new career as a certified life coach trained in a unique methodology based on Jungian theory, Eastern spirituality, and social neuroscience. Get the tools to become your true self, change your life, and the lives of others. Visit creativemindlife.com, click on apply, and speak with one of our team members today to discuss your future and possibilities of becoming a certified life coach. That's creativemindlife.com. I'll tell you a personal story. Um, uh, My husband, um, when I was in training, so I was in training, we had little kids, uh, there was money going out the door, you know, for training and not, and I wasn't bringing a ton of money in because I was, you know, pretty much a full-time mom. And, you know, there, we had our sort of normal financial stresses. And then it came time in the, in the training process for me to take the propodoidicum exams, which are the big exams in the middle of the training process. And, you know, I needed money. I needed extra books. I needed extra consultation sessions to help me prepare for the exams. I needed to work less so that I could study. I just needed a little cash influx. And I knew that if I asked him, he was going to go, blah, 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 blah. We can't afford this and blah, blah, you know, this kind of thing. And I just didn't want to deal with it. So I did something really sneaky. I asked my dad for a loan and my dad gave me a loan. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out my, my husband's gonna be like, where'd this money come from mm-hmm. on the bank account? Right? Like, you know, but that that's, it's really not cool to, mm-hmm. to do that in a marriage, right? To ask for a loan and not tell your partner. I, I, I wasn't cool what I did, but I felt like I had to do it. So I just did it. That's, that's trickster. But my husband was understandably upset that I had gone behind his back. And uh, he said, well, why did you do that? And I said, because I didn't want to deal with your pushback. Mm. And he said, well, next time, just push harder. Wow, that's great. And I, it, it just stopped me in my tracks because he was issuing me an invitation to become a worthy opponent. Mm-hmm. In other words, yes, I'm going to yell and scream and throw a tantrum if you ask me for you know, X amount of money, but just stand up to me and insist, just push, Yeah, you know, keep it, keep it in the container. I'm going to have do my thing over here. And then you come back at me. Mm -hmm. And that, that I think is a really great image for what I mean by becoming a worthy opponent. So don't do what I did. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, I, I love that because I think in, in all relationships, there needs to be a balance. Like, of course, you don't want to be always demanding and pushing, pushing, pushing. But it's that if some person is never pushing, the right. relationship just, the, it, it's like energy, like the relationship yeah. needs that pushback. And that's what helps people grow. And I, I I hear so many women say, I can't mention this to my husband, or I can't um, ask for that, or I'm tolerating, and they just tolerate and tolerate and tolerate. And then it's, you know, like, I lo love that is like, what what would happen if you just asked, just do regardless of what happens, like you own the action, you yeah, have power yeah. in the action, regardless of what happens. And not even I mean, it's so interesting, because there's a way to ask, which conveys, I don't expect you to say yes. And then there's a way to ask that says, I want this and I'm going to fight for it. Mm -hmm. Very, like not like almost like apologetic. You yeah. Like, oh, you know, I know this yeah, yeah. is really hard or this is what I want. And right. people and this, respect that too. Yes, like, I think as yes. women, a lot of times we think yeah. that's pushy or assertive or aggressive. And it's like, no, just say how it is. I grew up in New Jersey, so mm -hmm. I was very direct and we're taught to be very direct on the East Coast. And when I moved mm -hmm. to Denver, all the... This one girl I work with, I just asked her a direct question and she went crying to her boss like, oh, like she was mean to me. And I'm like, I just asked her a question. And it's so like we have to um, know that it's just you can't control how someone's going to receive it. Mm -hmm. But also, you know, it's, it's directness is the best way to be sometimes yeah. when you really want to get something or else mm -hmm. you're just, you know, being passive aggressive or you're being frustrated because you're not asking for what you want. And then mm -hmm. you're in your mind making the other person wrong and resenting them, which doesn't help them either. Right. I think it gives the other person um, permission to also be uh, empowered or mm -hmm. to feel yes. empowered. Absolutely. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And so the empowerment, um, where, where has it been all this time? Is it in the unconscious? Is it part of the shadow? Yes, I yes, I think I think that's that's really it. It's, it's I, I didn't I didn't hammer that term in the book partly because <laughs> my editor said like I think that's sort of it's on the wane, so don't focus on that. But but in essence, that's what I'm talking about in the book, and I do I do use the term a couple of times. It's for most women qualities like um, disagreeableness and you know desire and even sexuality and rage and ruthlessness and authority are in the shadow mm -hmm. and 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 specifically these are things that we have not allowed ourselves to develop and so yeah it's kind of the task of development to um claim those to work with those to integrate those so i'm not talking about when i say ruthlessness for example i'm not i, I gave a presentation and it's interesting, every time I presented on this and I talk about those qualities, someone will say, well, gosh, I mean, I agree with you in general, but I would never want to be ruthless or I would never want to be tricky, you know. But, but, I, but I think that the point is to have access to the capacity to be those things. Mm -hmm. Not that you want to go through the world being ruthless, but to be able to find that in yourself for the moment that it isn't required. Same with, with trickster or any one of these. And, and so of course, discernment is a, is a continual theme too, because you, you do have to decide is now a time when I want to be a little tricky. Mm -hmm. 
Is that also, wouldn't you say that what I noticed is these persona types, these personality traits, they're, they're not you. I mean, like if you're ruthless in the moment or you're, you have, it's just an energy that you're using. It's not Mm -hmm. your identity. And I think a lot of people identify behavior with their identity. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a good way of putting, putting it. It's a, it's like a tool. And in some sense, I think um, that is a, one one way to define individuation, just one way, is that we have developed all of our tools and we can use them choicefully mm. rather than just uh, kind of being, um, just resting on an old script that's a little compulsive or at least certainly unconscious. Mm-hmm. We could actually say, you know, I think in this moment right now, I need to use this tool. It's a freedom of choice, right? Instead of a compulsion, you're choosing. Yeah, it's like a a broader perspective on uh, what's available to you and how to respond to the world, to Mm -hmm. the situation. Uh, I imagine you've done your personal uh, individuation process. Uh, what, uh, What comes after the shadow after you integrate the shadow and i i understand there's probably always some shadow to work with but in in the process of individuation the way jung laid it out what's the next phase what 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 becomes uh that relationship with the unconscious what what's the theme there you know, I, it's difficult for me to think about about it in terms of phases, and I, I know, of course, Jung did, but I, I think practically, I, I, it's it's just difficult for me to kind of wrap my head around it in that way. I think that, you know, you, you really put your finger on it by by saying it's about cultivating the relationship with the unconscious, which of course is ongoing. Right. And and we we never, you know, Jung Jung also said you can't empty out the unconscious. You're always you're always going to be kind of cultivating that relationship and uh, and trying to understand what your particular task is. So maybe that's why it's hard for me to think about it as, well, first you do this and then you do this, mm-hmm. but but it's more like what what is required of me? You know, Jim Hollis has this wonderful question, what wants to come through, what wants to come into the world through me? Mm-hmm. And I think that that is, you know, in essence, that's the kind of individuation question is what is that, what do I need to make manifest? and that can vary so much for each one of us. Mm-hmm. So I think for myself, actually, um, really, you know, this this book in some ways is so deeply personal because I I do think that my one of my main life themes. Sometimes I'll talk to my analysians about a life theme. One of my life themes has been claiming authority, mm. and and so you know, it's I I really see my. I mean, it's not really that surprising. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's I'm better than I used to be for sure. Um, still, still some ways to go, but I, yeah, I've made a lot of strides. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot, a lot of, a lot of analysis, a lot of, a uh, lot of inner work. Um, but, but, uh, but, but, you know, I mean, a lot of the, the, the themes in the book are very personal to me because I've, I've had to wrestle with this. And I do think that many women also have to wrestle with it. I don't, maybe perhaps not all of us, but I, yeah. You know, I, I used to see think, this. Yeah. yeah, you would agree. I, I would. Yeah, see I mean, I felt I related to everything you okay. wrote. You know, that's, that's good, <laughs> because for years working with clients, I'd be like, 
she's having authority problems. And I would think to myself, Lisa, you're just projecting your own stuff onto your client. But I'm like, no, no, I don't think I am. So uh, yeah, I think it I think it may be a bit of a universal experience for women. Well, one universal theme, which I, I love, uh, you quoted Marianne Woodman uh, in your book, and this concept I'd never heard before either, um, this idea of rage that we mm-hmm. keep in our shadow, and that's very universal. All the women we've worked with over the years, they I know me personally, my first experience of shadow work, I met, had just met Rob, and I was triggered by a client, and he was like, oh, you know, that's your anger. And I said, what? I don't have any anger. And it was such a transformational um, experience for me to face my own anger. Yeah. But I'm just going to quote you here, or Marianne Wood- Woodman, you the different there's a difference between personal anger in the in intimate relationships and transpersonal rage from an archetypal level and i would love for you to talk a little bit about that because i thought that was an interesting idea yeah well i i think when that um that arc that it bubbles up from that archetypal level it feels um so frightening often as especially if you're a woman who feels like she shouldn't get angry at all. Mm-hmm. But but you know, it is different because it it brings it brings this deep wisdom with it. Mm-hmm. Right? It's for it is frightening, it certainly can be destructive, but it, it is also renewing. And uh you know, I I have you know, include that remarkable dream from the woman mm-hmm. who sort of saw that uh you know, this this fiery woman who's just coming to rain down destruction on everything. Mm-hmm. And, and it was her, it was the woman's personal anger, you know, mm-hmm. and, and kind of that she'd buried for many years in her marriage, but it was also kind of a visitation from, from the goddess, from a chthonic rageful goddess of which there are many in most pantheons, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's Kali or, or Lilith or the, the Arrhenius and the Greek, pantheon and and so uh you know it's it's um there's something that's dark but life-giving about that energy Mm. and and it's tricky to know how to relate to it because it genuinely can be destructive if you focus on it in a if you're like kind of keeping it in a box or feeling like you don't have power it becomes very destructive because you're just angry and you're still in anger. But if yes. you say, what is this going to push me forward? Like, what is this going to, what is this, what is in me is like going, hey, you know, like I want to be expressed and, and to look at it that way. Yeah. Although I do think that the fear of it is, is also um, justified, you know, like, like they're, you know, like that woman she didn't know what was going to happen when she got that angry at her husband. I mean, it really worked out very well, actually. You know, she um, she grew, he grew, their marriage grew, but it, she could have had this big outburst, and it could have ruined. It could have ended the marriage. Mm-hmm. That was a real possibility. I mean, not not saying she has one one angry outburst and that's it, but her her you know, at that point, she was no longer able to continue to be accommodating because the goddess had visited her. And, you know, was the marriage going to end when she stopped being accommodating? Mm-hmm. That was, that was the question. So I mean, for better, it, it may, it may have been, it, it may be that whenever the goddess visits us in that way, that it's, it it's going to burst the bounds of previous constrictions and will be kind of healthy for us. And it could still be really destructive too. Mm. So, I mean, I, I think there's a reason why we're like 
uh, I don't want it. Not today. Thanks. <laughs> and it doesn't feel good in the body either when you're, you're raging and angry, but it's like, if you ignore it, it actually has more uh, destructive yeah. nature in the unconscious than if you're conscious of it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you, you uh, use uh, the myths to, to understand the personal journey. And, and that's, that's such a, such an art in itself, mm -hmm. right? To be able to make that connection and to, and to give people that experience that there is this intelligence in the unconscious mind that is paying attention in a sense to, to what we're up to and, and, and chiming in with uh, the the myths, right? And mm -hmm. giving us these hints as to what, uh, what is our work about and what do we need to do? What, yeah. What story are we in? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. The, do you see that? I mean, why why do we <coughs> why do we miss that so much? Why do we uh, dismiss that in, in the modern world? Do you mean why do we dismiss stories or? Yeah, and, and especially dream work and and the mythology that that is obviously there. Well, I mean, I think we have a, a um, we're out of balance. You know, I mean, I think about the work, the incredible work of Ian McGilchrist, who um, he wrote that amazing book, The Master and His Emissary. Yeah. And, you know, what he says in that book is that the, you know, that we have these two hemispheres and they kind of experience the world in different ways and that both are necessary. And he kind of traces this historic arc where it used to be more in balance. And uh, what he says is that the right hemisphere is the master and the left hemisphere is the emissary. And it's happened that the emissary has kind of betrayed the master and we're, we're more, more tilted toward this kind of rational, uh, the rationalistic mm. and we've forgotten the kind of sacred gift as Einstein calls it of the imagination. Uh, rather than the our rationality being in service to the kind of holistic, um, uh, intuitive vision that's provided to us by the imaginative part of the psyche, mm -hmm. um, it's 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 kind of gotten buried. So there's a there's a kind of very long, at least according to McGilchrist, and I think he makes a very uh, convincing argument that this is the product of kind of thousands of years of cultural evolution. So it's hard to sort of say, well, it's this one thing, mm -hmm. but it's a fascinating and I think incredibly important question. Yeah. And, and that's precisely what we need uh, because, you know, it's like uh, Wilson's uh, idea that we have this primitive uh, brain and this uh, medieval uh, th these medieval institutions, and yet we have this technology that's godlike. Mm -hmm. That's a bad combination. <laughs> yep, yep. And you're right. That's I think that's very connected to uh, to the, this this kind of hypothesis. And this is also something that Jung talked about in a way too, because he talks about you know most of the problems that we have are because we're 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 disconnected from our instincts. What he called the the two million year old man, and he says. Where does that man speak to us? In our dreams. Mm. So leaning into the non-rational, making space for it in our lives, whether it's dream work or fairy tales, 
is really healing. It's healing on an individual level, and I believe it can be healing on a cultural level as well. Mm. I know. I, I mean, we're, we do coaching, and, and a lot of people think just thinking positive, and if I just, you know, have my goals, and, and the coaching industry has gotten so like corporate and left brain. And it's like, you need to kind of work with your imagination and your yeah. emotions and all these other aspects of ourselves. And you can't just like, you know, have a checklist to get through life. And no. yeah, yeah, that's why we lo love this work. And and we really, um, your book is really amazing. And uh, uh, we had James Hollis actually on our show too. And I pulled out another quote that you wrote about him. Um, about like, I think to end it was like a lot of people ask us, how do you know if you're, this is your true self or if I, this is my persona, my shadow, and is it good to be this or bad? And you said, he said, it's not good, not bad, but authentic. Mm -hmm. And I love mm -hmm. that idea. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So like, uh, I just wanted you to elaborate on that. Like uh, what, what was your take on that with when people, sometimes they persona swap and they think, okay, I'm going to bring this aggressive person in, but just in, in opposition to this mm -hmm. other persona they had. And mm -hmm. like, how do you, how do they cultivate that authentic, how do they know when it's really authentic? Mm -hmm. You know, um, Jung, Jung said, said, said this great thing, which I, I wish I had chapter and verse, but I don't. But he, he said, when you find it, when you think you found a truth, taste it. <laughs> Put it in your mouth, chew on it, swallow it, see how you feel afterwards. And if and if it and if it tastes good and you feel good, then um then then that's a truth. And you can take that and offer it to other people. So I, I really like that image of, you know, you sort of have to just live with something and see if it works. Mm. It's a, that's a really great idea because it's not it's different for everyone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like what's authentic for one person is not authentic for someone else yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that's uh, the idea of individuation right that it's yes a, it's our unique path yeah well i want to just uh be on a be so thankful for your time this has been a fascinating conversation i mean we listen to on this young in life all the time and uh, it's just so great to to finally talk to you directly and mm. meet you in person and uh, we just really enjoy your book uh, we invite everyone to buy Lisa Marciano's book, The Vital Spark, Reclaim Your Outlaw Energies and Find Your Feminine Fire. And, well, uh, it's coming out uh, in February? February 6th. Ooh, nice. Mm -hmm. Just in time for Valentine's. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that it lends itself well to being a Valentine's present, but perhaps. Be in a very <laughs> Okay, there you go. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. And uh, we will hopefully see you soon. Okay. All right. Thank you for joining us. And don't forget to subscribe to Creative Minds Soul Sessions and join us next week as we explore another deep topic where you can consciously create your life with Creative Mind Soul Sessions. See you next time.